Good morning. Turn in your Bibles with me once again to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once more. Father in heaven, we come now to your word and we pray that you would make it alive to us, that it would truly be in our hearts, the living word. Pray, Father, that you would use this word to draw us closer to yourself. And I pray, Father, that you would give me the grace and strength to speak it in truth. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let me open by asking a little trivia question or a quiz question. If you were in First Light a couple years ago and the Przlovskis took us through a little bit of an evangelism course uh, and taught us the wordless book. So if you remember that or if you know your wordless book, what's the last page on the wordless book? White, green, yellow, orange. What is it? It's green. The last page in the wordless book is green. And green represents growth. And in the case of the wordless book, it represents spiritual growth. This will be the context for our study this morning is the topic of spiritual growth. And as we look into 1 John 2, we'll be noting three phases or levels of maturity in spiritual growth. But before we look at 1 John 2, I want to note a few things about spiritual growth, what it is and what it is not. Five things of what spiritual growth is not by way of introduction here. Spiritual growth is not defined by success. Spiritual growth is not defined by success. In our frailty, we're apt to take a look at another person and see much in the way of material blessing or success and fall prey to thinking that they must be doing something right in their walk with the Lord in order to have gained such material blessing. And if that was the case, we would have to take the Apostle Paul and call him spiritually immature because he didn't have much in the way of spiritual as much in the way of material blessing and yet he was immensely spiritually mature spiritual maturity is not defined by success spiritual maturity or spiritual growth is not defined by age we you may have heard the phrase he's wise beyond his years spiritual maturity is not defined by time or age that is to say that it does come with time as we grow, but it's not defined by a certain age. I mean, you can be spiritually mature at a young physical age. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be 50, 60, 70 years old before you could attain a spiritual level of maturity. Number three, spiritual growth is not defined by knowledge. Just like a young person physically may read a lot and know a lot and study a lot about a particular topic and yet be immature, the same applies in the faith. We certainly might know a lot about a particular topic in the Bible. We may know a lot about God's attributes, but that doesn't necessarily define us as being spiritually mature. John MacArthur gives two other definitions or um, how spiritual growth is not defined, and I think it's wise to share his. MacArthur says, spiritual growth is not defined by your standing before God. 
It's not defined by your standing before God. Our standing before God is nothing to do with our own. Uh, nothing has nothing to do with our own doing. It's by His doing. He justified us through the shed blood, death, burial, and resurrection of His Son Christ. Christ alone did the work for us. He's the one who brought us into right standing before God. Before we came to know God, we were guilty. We were in debt. We were enemies of Christ. And yet through what Christ has done for us on the cross, we now have been pronounced innocent. Our debt has been paid. And we're now no longer an enemy of God. We are part of the family of God. But our spiritual maturity has nothing to do with our standing before God. That would be defined as justification. Spiritual maturity would be defined as sanctification. MacArthur shares another one. Spiritual growth is not, or spiritual maturity is not defined by God's love for you. Just like if you go to the Apostle uh, of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and you're to read about God's love for us, and there in the picture of the prodigal son, the love of the father in that picture did not wax or wane depending upon the love of the son for the father or how it was expressed. And the father, God, for us, loves us as believers, speaking to believers here, irregardless of our level of love for him or our level of maturity in the faith. So if spiritual growth is not defined by success, it's not defined by age, it's not defined by knowledge, it's not defined by our standing before God, and it's not defined by God's love for us, what is spiritual growth? And I think a simple definition would be spiritual growth is the process in which we become more like Christ by His grace through His Word. Spiritual growth is the process in which we become more like Christ by His grace through His Word. Notice, spiritual growth is simply you being here in your faith and in the process of moving to where you are currently standing before God. You stand before God justified. You are perfectly justified before God in Christ's blood. And yet you're here in your spiritual maturity. And so the growth, spiritual growth is the simply closing that gap becoming more like Christ and we do so by his grace through his word maturity is not a matter of salvation it's a matter of sanctification that salvation has been bought for us by Christ and yet now we're maturing we're growing to be more like Christ so now let's go look at 1st John 2 armed with this understanding of what we mean by when we say spiritual growth or spiritual maturity look with me at verse 12 I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Twice he mentions little children, twice he mentions fathers, and twice he mentions young men. And John, one of the marks of John's writings is repetition. So we're going to take not six different levels, but three, combining his thoughts for each level twice. He's got three levels of spiritual maturity here. 
And I'm going to be using the language John uses here. So as we continue our study this morning, as we hear the words little children or young men or fathers, understand that we mean spiritual growth or levels of mature spiritual growth and not physical development. Let's look at first little children. This is a, a term of endearment. He actually uses it five other times in 1 John. 1 John 2, 1, six other times in 1 John. 1 John 2, 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you. He says the same in 1 John 2, 18, which we'll get to in a week or two. Children, it is the last hour. 1 John 2, 28, 1 John 3, 7, 1 John 5, 21. It's a mark of John's pastoral writings to the church. And he writes to these little children sins, that their sins have been forgiven for his namesake, meaning God's namesake, and because you know the Father. To help us better understand what, what the Apostle John is telling us here, I think it's helpful to look at the physical development of a child. So we're going to note this morning three distinguishing marks of each of these phases. Two of them will be in the positive and one could be negative. Number one, the mark of a little, children, little child in the physical development, and we will remark on this as well in the spiritual development, is the mark that they recognize their parents. Recognition of parents. Notice John says, because you know the father. Little children, that's one of their first things. They, they recognize their parents, first by sound, and then by sight, and then by name. In fact, most often... We know that a little child, their first word is mama or dada. Little children recognize their parents and in so doing, they recognize the, the safety, the, the comfort that they find in the presence of their parents. And as parents, we rejoice to see this simple faith. We delight when our children run to us and call our name and want to see where we are. And if they're in any sort of danger, oftentimes they'll call our name and we delight to hear that. And in fact, we, we often take that simple communication that they have with us and we use it to teach them. We use, them to teach, to te- we use it to teach them to obey and to simply recognize our voice and to obey it. We don't teach a little child who's 18 months or two years old or even four or five necessarily why they should obey initially, but simply that if they are to be, if they're called, they are to do what they're being called to do. Come or do something. And we don't, we don't teach them why because their mental development isn't of such a, in such a, to a, such a mature level that they can grasp those things. They simply obey and that's all they need to know and that's all they want to know. Little children recognize their parents. Little children are marked by their ignorance. Now I don't, say this in a negative way, I say this in a delightfully good way. Often some of the funniest times with children is how they view the world around them and how they remark about that world around them. They, they know very little of any sort of danger. They just are de- delighted with the world around them. And, they, and so they'll remark upon things because they, they don't see the world through any sort of lens of uh, Notion, pre-notions or pre, uh, misconceptions or expectations, they, they simply delight to see the world that is around them. In like manner, a little child in the faith, 
And notice I did not say a a new or young believer, but a little child in the faith in, in terms of spiritual maturity has these same delightful characteristics. They just love the sound of their father's voice. They, they love to recognize their father's voice in the word. They love the, the simple truths of salvation, that Christ died on the cross for their sins. They tend to have the ability to keep an, an amazing focus on Christ and his work for them. They tend to have an absolute love for the scriptures and a childlike faith in terms of how they read the scriptures. They read the scripture, they, under, they come uh, to a particular passage where it says, do this or don't do this, and simply out of love for the Father, they delightfully obey. But then the third characteristic I would have here, and in terms of little children, is a negative thing. Little children are vulnerable and susceptible They're vulnerable and susceptible. Little children are the smallest in the grown-up world that is around them. They easily fall over things and they're easily tripped over. In fact, when they do fall, their balance is usually quite poor that their fall really hurts. They have no understanding of hot versus cold, sharp versus dull, clean versus dirty. And so they can very easily get themselves hurt. I had the delightful experience the other day of looking outside and seeing my son with a crisscross rope across his chest and a plastic bag tied to his back, and that was his parachute. He had no concept of height. Gravity? What's gravity? All I know is that this is a parachute, so if I jump, that parachute will fill up and I will float calmly to the ground. And he didn't get himself hurt, but that's partly because his father was saying, don't do that. But it's a delight. We, we, we look at that and think, well, what a delightful innocence. Dangerous, can be, but they see things with such possibility. Little children in the faith are susceptible to false teaching. If we're to take this passage in 1 John, 12, 1 John 2, 12 through 14 and put it in context, verse 15, what we'll study next week, do not love the things of the world, verse 18 Children, it is the last hour, just as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. He's warning little children of false teaching. Little children in the faith are susceptible to false teaching. And they're in a very dangerous position if left without supervision or care. This is why um, the continent of Africa or the country of India is so often susceptible to this prosperity gospel teaching is because there's very few mature believers that can come along and protect them in the faith. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, And he gave some, Christ God gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attained the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. We're to mature in the faith. And as a, as a little child in the faith, knowing Christ in all that is delightful there does not necessarily mean that 
we should not grow in our understanding of doctrine in theology. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. You may often hear a, a young child in the faith say something to the effect of, I, I don't care about all that stuff, all that doctrine, about all that, what do those big words mean? I, ju- I, just, I just love Jesus. And, and that's a delightful thing to be, and that's a true thing, but they can't stay there too long. They need to then mature to the young men phase, the young men status. Young men, because you have overcome the evil in verse 13 of 1 John 2, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. The marks of little children are recognition of parents marked by their ignorance and marked by their vulnerability and susceptibility to life around them. Young men are marked by knowledge. They're marked by knowledge. That little child that we all love, as time goes by, matures into a young person. And the mark of that young person is oftentimes knowledge. They have attained a physical development and a mental development where they can read and study They go to school and they learn about why when you fall off the stool or fall off the bike, it hurts. Why your knee feels so badly when you scrape it across the ground. They gain a knowledge in language and communication. And they still have a delightful relationship with their parents, but it's very much different. Now there are lots of questions. Now they want to know why and how things work. Now they aren't just simply content to obey, they need to be told why to obey in order to be that driving force behind their obedience. And so it is with young people in Christ. They are hungry to know and understand. They delight in learning about theology and the nuances of different stands and beliefs on important issues of the word. They are simply content to know that they should obey. They are not simply content to know that they should obey God, but they want to know how to be sanctified through the word. They want to know what that word sanctification means. They want to know why is it contingent upon their justification first. They're marked by their knowledge. They want to know more. But number two, they're marked by strength and energy. Proverbs twenty twenty nine. the glory of young men is their strength, the honor of old men is their gray hair. If you can get an army of young people behind a worthy cause, oftentimes that mountain can be moved. Because they, they have such an energy and a zeal for the things that are true. Their, their faith, their zeal for the faith is contagious. They have no qualms about just wading in to some sort of a theological battle or fight for truth. And note that John says they've overcome the evil one. Well, not in the sense of their salvation, meaning we're talking to believers here. Remember, we're talking about sanctification and spiritual maturity and growth, not justification. So they've not overcome Christ for their salvation. I'm sorry, they've not overcome Satan for their salvation. That can only be done through Christ. But they've overcome the enemy in the sense that they've overcome the enemy's lies about their salvation. John is writing to the believers, helping, wanting to help them be confident and be sure of their salvation. And young men that know the truth are not susceptible, as susceptible to false teaching about their salvation. And so they've overcome those lies that the enemy has given. 
They've overcome the, the fleshly nature. And they're with zeal pursuing Christ. All are susceptible to false teaching, but it is the mature believer, and this starts with the young men, middle of the road maturity, and knowing the truth to be able to refute the lies of the enemy about our salvation. Number three, the third mark of a young man, the middle road here of spiritual maturity, is we're often marked by impulsiveness. Impulsiveness. Now this could be a negative attribute. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 12. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 12. You have a picture here of this impulsiveness. King Rehoboam. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Then they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. Then he said to them, Depart for three days, and then return to me. So the people departed. And if you know the remainder of the story, he first calls in the mature counselors, the wise, older counselors, and they give him counsel to lighten the load and gain the people's trust. And then the young men come in and say, oh no, no, here's our time to really capitalize and set a new regime and let's really bear down. And he took the impulsive route and not the wise route and ended up suffering for it. So as young men in physical development are apt to rush in and be impulsive to the detriment of their physical health, so often young people in the faith, not Physically, young people, but young people of spiritual maturity in the faith are, are apt to be impulsive to the detriment of their right focus spiritually. We can get so caught up in the forest that we miss the trees or the trees that we miss the forest. We, we just want to know all these little nuances that we miss really what it's about at times. We can. And yet at the same time, our impulsiveness can be a good thing in that we because of the strength that uh, young men in the faith have, they tend to want to just go in and fight. And they have little care for what may happen. And that can be very much needed in the fight for faith, in the fight for truth. But let's look at the third level, or the third category John gives. Back in First John 2. Fathers. Fathers, because I'm writing because you know him who has been from the beginning... And then he basically repeats it word for word because you know him who has been from the beginning in verse 14. Three marks of a father. The first mark is the mark of knowing. And I don't mean the mark of knowledge. I mean the mark of knowing in the way that the Bible speaks of knowing. This intimate, close relationship where you know the person by name and you know the person by their voice but the knowledge that you've gained about them has you so enthralled with them that it's, it's not just in principle, it's played out in relationship. So the young men category, we can, they can know a lot about God, but have difficulty in really knowing intimately God, and that's the characteristic of the father relationship. 
The second characteristic, the second mark, would be the mark of wisdom. Proverbs twenty twenty nine: The glory of young men is their strength, the honor of old men is their gray hair. Oftentimes, fathers in spiritual maturity know, are wise enough to know what battles to fight and know which ones to let be. What mountains to die on, so to speak, and which to let go. When to stand and fight and yet not get distracted from the main things. Because they're fighting not just for the truth. They're fighting for a, rela- a, a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. The third characteristic of the father in spiritual maturity can be a negative or it could be a positive. It can be the mark of skepticism and negativity. The mark of skepticism and negativity Fathers in the faith must be very careful not to see the impulsiveness, not to see the immaturity of the, maybe the little child in the faith, and squelch the energy and the joy of the young people or the little child in the faith simply because it feels to them superficial or maybe even a waste of time, simply because they have a much deeper relationship with the Lord. They need to be careful how they conduct themselves in that. And rather than seeing that as a negative, to see their their wisdom and be able to pass that on and help mature these less mature in the faith. Now as a warning here, what I would not be saying is that if you're in the little child category this morning, or even if you're in the young person category, that you are wrong for being in that category. This is a process You're not inferior or even in sin if you're less than, say, the father category. And that's a tendency for some lines of thinking is thinking, well, if I'm any less than where I really want to be, then I'm I'm inferior or I'm no good or I'm worthless. No, not in the least. It is a process and you will come along. However, on the flip side of that, we can't settle into thinking, well, I'm happy where I am in my spiritual maturity. I I really like all this study of doctrine. Or I really like just being enthralled with God. And those doctrinal things are kind of a waste of time for me. And thinking that I'm just going to settle here and be comfortable. And we can't do that. Because the book of Hebrews rebukes the church by saying, For though, in Hebrews 5, 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. There is a sense, just as in physical development, that there's aspects of us that lack in some levels of maturity. Meaning you could be over here in the young men category and yet still be have a few characteristics of a child category. And that kind of comes and goes with time. But we do need to be moving forward because growth, meaning John, remember when in his writing here, he's, he's giving marks or attributes of what you can know in your life that is going to give you surety of your salvation. One of them is Growth. You must have growth. It's required of the believer to have growth because now they've become alive in Christ, through Christ, and now they should desire to grow, to be like Him. And we all have a tendency, if we're not careful, to grow lax in our Christian walk. 
If we're not careful, we become like the church of Ephesus. And remember, John is writing probably from Ephesus to the church of Ephesus. And he writes later in Revelation, Revelation 2, 2 through 5, that the church of Ephesus, their mark is that they've lost their first love. We must be ever vigilant to not think too highly of ourselves, to take heed lest we fall, to realize the calling of Christianity is to be like Christ, not to reach a position that is comparative to those that are around us, saying, well, I've I've reached a new stage. I can kind of relax here a little bit because everyone else is at a different stage or I'm above them. If we become short-sighted to the call of becoming like Christ through knowing him intimately, we open ourselves up to, and this is what we'll be studying next week, a different love than the love for God, but rather a love for the world, which you see in 1 John 2.15. So what, is applica- what, can we, what can we apply today? What's some application? I've got three things of application here. First, means of application would be the importance of the body of Christ. Notice that John is writes to three different levels of maturity. And by doing so, he denotes the fact that in the body of Christ there are going to be different levels and that there need to be different levels, as he says in, as Paul says in Ephesians, to help us grow, to help us mature. The book of Hebrews talks about that. That there's going to be other levels that will help us grow and mature in the faith. We need that discipleship aspect where you have older, wiser mentors that can disciple us. And yet the older, wiser mentors and disciple makers need to have the young people there in the faith to disciple and mentor as well as bring energy back into their walk that may have waned with age. With, uh, waned with maturity. And yet, there also needs to be a, a mark in the body of Christ of, of love, of respect, of care, of patience, of humility. Because just like a physical father may have difficulty in the church relating to a young person, simply because... They're kind of gangly and trying to figure out, you know, how to move and talk and be as a young person. So and there's not a lot of similarities. Or a, or a young person is looking over here at the two-year-old and thinking, I'm, I'm past this now. There needs to be a mark of love between the body of Christ that, that allows the mature in the faith to relate to the lesser mature in the faith and vice versa. Because there can be a tendency to think, well, I'm at this level and I want to associate with people in that level because they understand where I'm at. And yet you also need to reach out to other levels and encourage them or bring them along. So the first application would be the importance of the body of Christ. Second application would be abide in the word. Look, at, look with me at 1 John 2, verse 14, speaking to the young men in the faith. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We know according to Psalm 119 that how can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to his word? Second Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
First Peter 2, 2, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The, the mark or the, the application for, for all of us here, regardless of where we are in our spiritual maturity, is that to continue to grow in our spiritual maturity, we must abide in the word. And the word must abide in us. John seventeen fourteen, I have given them your word, this is Christ speaking, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, through your word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How do we mature in the faith? We do so in the word, in the word abiding in us. Because as the word abides in us, abide, abides in us we grow and we become more like Christ, which is what he desires. But I also will believe, but I do not ask the, for these things also, but for those who believe in me through your word, that they also may be one, that's the, des- the desire of Christ is that we be one with the Father and we do so through his word. The word of God must abide in us. How are we doing with our scriptural readings? Are you in the word each morning? Are you in the word throughout the day? Do you have it coming into your life in different forms and fashions so that the word of God is in you and abides in you? That's the only way we can grow. You, we can read books we can listen to sermons. Those are great things and those are mediums to use. But outside of the word of God, they will leave us with a false hope of growth. Last means of application would be to remember your purpose. Remember our purpose. What is the purpose of growing? Why do we want to grow? Well, we see that in verse 12 of 1 John 2. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. That our our purpose of growth is to magnify the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is, is to display the glory of our Savior. And we do that when we continually recall, recall what he has done for us and marvel at the love that he has for us. I want to read... By way of closing here, a quote from Charles Spurgeon on the love of Christ. And it's when we remember these type of things, remember these truths, that we're able to better remember our purpose. And now we we desire to grow. We desire to know his word. We desire the body of Christ and the means of grace for that growth. Charles Spurgeon, quote, For this love of Christ is indeed measureless and fathomless, No one can fully comprehend it. Before we can have any right idea of the love of Jesus, we must understand his previous glory in its height of majesty and his incarnation upon the earth in all its depths of shame. But who can tell us the majesty of Christ? When he was enthroned in the highest heavens, he was very God of very God. By him the heavens were made and all its inhabitants. 
His own almighty arm upheld the spheres. The praises of cherubim and seraphim perpetually surrounded him. The full chorus of the hallelujahs of the universe flowed without ceasing to the foot of his throne. He reigned supreme above all his creatures, God over all, blessed forever. Who can tell his height of glory then? And who, on the other hand, can tell how low he descended? To be a man was something. To be a man of sorrows was far more. To bleed and die and suffer, these were much for him who is the Son of God. But to suffer, but to suffer such unparalleled agony, to endure a death of shame and desertion by his Father, this is a depth of condescending love that the most inspired mind must utterly fail to fathom. Herein is love, and truly it is love that surpasses knowledge. Unquote. We must remember our purpose to proclaim the glory of Christ. And we do so as we continually recall in our own minds and study in our own minds this unfathomless love that he has for us. That he didn't simply come to this earth and die. He came as the son of God and he took upon himself the sins of all the world, including mine and including yours. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we see the desire that you have for us in your word to grow and to obtain a spiritual maturity that would allow us the confidence in our faith. We don't believe the lies of the enemy. To obtain a spiritual maturity that allows us to fight for truth and righteousness in the world that is around us. To obtain, Lord, a spiritual maturity that has us enthralled and enraptured in our relationship with you, that we simply know you as scripture speaks of knowing, an intimate acquaintance. Father, I pray that you would help us as Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship to be about, the gro- to be about growth in the faith. That we not grow stagnant but that we'd be ever pressing forward in our relationship with you. Father, I pray that we would be wise to identify those around us that can help us to grow and those that need help in growing. That we would be very careful in how we relate to one another to make sure that we encourage those who need to be encouraged and challenge those who need to be challenged that we would not allow a weaker brother around us, but encourage him and draw him forward in the faith through the word of truth. Father, may we be bold to proclaim the good news to the lost and dying world that is around us, that we might give them a picture as best we are able and yet empowered by the Holy Spirit of the magnificence of Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. May we be those that abide in it on a daily basis. Forgive us, Father, when we fall short of doing so. Renew in us, Lord, a love for your word, for your means of grace that you've given to us, for the body of Christ. May we not fail, Father, to 
assemble with one another. May we not forsake the assembling of the brethren. But delight to have all levels of spiritual maturity around us that we might be encouraged and strengthened and challenged. Father, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to study your word and may it bring forth good fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name.